from D. James Kennedy Ministries. This is Kennedy Classics. Hello, I'm Frank Wright, President of D. James Kennedy Ministries, where we are standing for truth and defending your freedom. Be sure to visit our ministry website where you can find past programs, important articles, and other valuable content. It's all available online at djkm.org. Being able to accurately predict the future seems like an impossible task. Many writers, authors, and storytellers have offered their theories of what they think the future might actually be like. Some have done better than others. George Orwell's famous book, 1984, which portrayed the future as a dystopia with omnipresent surveillance and tyrannical governments, seems almost prescient in our day. And Stanley Kubrick's iconic film, 2001, A Space Odyssey, which envisions a time when deep space travel is possible thanks to the powerful artificial intelligence embodied in the HAL 9000 computer. That seems a distinct possibility in our day. While these works were both written as science fiction, they represented predictions on the part of the writers about where they thought the future was headed. But such observations are hit and miss written mostly in generalities. Parts of them come true and other parts don't. We have very capable artificial intelligence now, but true deep space travel still seems a way off. But while writers in our time might be spotty at predicting the future, there were writers in the past whose prophetic utterances came directly from God. One of these wrote about the life death, and resurrection of Jesus with perfect accuracy more than 700 years before his birth. As we celebrate the Christmas season, here is Dr. Kennedy with his message, The Gospel According to Isaiah. Our scripture this morning is taken from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. May we hear the inspired word of the living God. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep 
have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And may God speak to us today through this great passage of his holy word, and may his name ever be praised. Amen. The passage of Scripture that is open before us this day is, in my opinion and that of many others, the most astonishing chapter in all of Holy Scripture. In fact, I would say the most astonishing piece of writing in all of history. There is nothing like it whatsoever. It was written over 700 years before Jesus Christ was born, and yet here is laid out in great detail the life, the ministry, the suffering, the passion, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is nothing like this in any other religious writing. It is unique in the truest sense of that word. It is truly remarkable. It obviously proves that the scriptures are inspired by God. No other way could such a thing as this exist. But now hear the word of God, who knoweth the end from the beginning. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. And so Christ came, not with great pomp and circumstance, not with royalty, not with power, not with armies, but in a poor family with a great lineage, but one that had fallen into poverty. He grew up in the home of a carpenter. He grew up in a city that was a byword. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth, was the word. He grew up with no education, having never learned, and yet he was the wisest person that ever lived. He grew up astonishingly. He exited that town which was nothing, walked up on a hill with no background, no education. He delivered the greatest discourse on human ethics the world has ever heard. It has never been equaled and certainly never excelled the Sermon on the Mount. But because he did not come with grandeur and pomp and power, he did not come as a reigning general to overthrow the Roman Empire, he was rejected. He was despised of men. And his entire life was a life of a man of sorrows and a man acquainted with grief. It is never recorded once that Jesus ever laughed. And yet, the night before he went to the agony of the cross, he said, My joy I give unto you. And his name is that one name which 
If the world could do it, would be stamped out forever. It is now continually being removed from the public square. He is rejected of men. But surely, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. They did everything imaginable to him. They spat in his face. They ripped off his beard. They scourged him with a scourging probably like no one had ever received before or since. This was the Roman scourge with that three-pronged rawhide whip in which were certed sharp pieces of lead that could tear the flesh and even reach in at times and pull ribs loose from the ribcage. Now the Jews limited their scourging to 40 stripes minus one, but the Romans had no such compunctions. It is estimated that he received more than a hundred blows with the scourge. There was hardly a spot on his body that had not been ripped open. Because you see, Pilate did not intend that scourging would be what it usually is, a prelude to crucifixion. Otherwise, the person would never be able to get to the cross. Pilate intended that Jesus merely be scourged, as awful as that was. I will scourge him and let him go, he said. And so the soldiers gave him what they felt was almost an equal to crucifixion, a substitute. But when they brought him back and said, Behold the man, the Jews were not satisfied. And they cried out, Let him be crucified. And so it became not a substitute, but a prelude to crucifixion. Indeed, his form was more marred than that of any man. And that was done for us. He was smitten by God after having endured all of that. And the nails pound, pounded into his hands and feet, the crown of thorns, all of that, the agony of the cross, that too was just a prelude to an even greater punishment, the punishment of his Father. He was smitten of God and afflicted. We're told it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. And this was his only and beloved Son, about whom he said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The Father had loved him for all eternity. The altogether lovely one who could say, I do always those things which please my Father. And now, Again, he is smitten by God. God now pours out all of his wrath for sin upon his only beloved son. Jesus was silent, we're told. He opened not his mouth before his accusers. He is a, as a lamb taken to the slaughter, and he opened not his mouth. Why was Christ silent before that trial? He easily could have defended himself, 
They could not prove anything about him. He indeed confessed that he was the Son of God when questioned, and this is what brought about his crucifixion. He could easily have escaped that trial. He could have defended himself and say, you can see that I am not guilty of any of these charges. Which of you convinceth me of sin? There was no deceit, no lies in his mouth. He was absolutely without sin. Why didn't he say something? The reason is, my friends, and you should never forget it, is that he was guilty. He was the most guilty man the world has ever seen. For all of our guilt was imputed to him. And he became sin for us, the Bible says. It was your guilt and yours and yours and mine that was upon him, for which he was enduring all of this agony. He bore our griefs and carried our sorrows and had imputed to him our guilt. He became, he became sin. Now we know that God loves us and we know that God loves us with an infinite love. But my friends, God hates sin. And God hates sin with an infinite hatred. Consider that. And all of that wrath for sin from him who is of pure eyes and even to look upon iniquity was poured out upon Jesus Christ. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth because he was bearing our guilt before the judgment seat and taking our place. He was taken from prison and from judgment. He was cut off out of the land of the living. And there we see that he had been in judgment, he had been in prison, that he was crucified and killed. But it was for the transgression of my people that he was stricken. He was altogether sinless without any reason for condemnation. And in spite of that, a statement that I remember when I first heard it, I was astounded at. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. That a father could look down upon his only child, his beloved child, his perfect child, and that it would please him to bruise him and put him to grief. Of course, that please does not mean pleasant. It means that it was the will of God. It was the will of God that Christ come and take upon himself human flesh 
It was the will of God that sin should be imputed to him and that he should die in our place. The alternative was that every one of us goes to hell. The holiness and the justice of God must be satisfied. God cannot become unjust. Sin must have its recompense. The soul that sinneth shall surely die. And so we see the travail of Christ's soul. And when the Father saw the travail of his soul, he was satisfied. The justice of God was satisfied by his knowledge, that is, by the knowledge of him, shall my righteous servant justify many. This is salvation, to know God and to know Jesus Christ whom he has sent. This is life eternal. We are justified by knowing Christ, knowing him who is the Son of God, the Savior of men, knowing him who took our sins upon himself and died in our place. This is what causes our justification. It is through knowledge, trust in Christ our Savior. And then, amazing, and who could possibly know this, that after this person has been cut off out of the land of the living, after he has endured death, we read that God will indeed prolong his days. And here, the concept of life beyond death, a resurrection from the grave, is taught. And furthermore, that the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Christ doeth all things well. And the pleasure or the purpose of God will prosper in his hand. And, my friends, it is and it will yet more. God is accomplishing his pur purpose that the gospel of Christ would spread all over the earth as the waters cover the sea. We're told that the knowledge of God would spread around the world, and it is doing so today. Christ doeth all things well, and the purpose of God that mankind would come to know the living Christ and the living God, and the great bulk of the world would come to know his salvation, will come to pass. Christ has guaranteed it. And therefore God says that he will divide him a portion with the strong and with the great, and that Christ will divide the spoil with the strong, that God is willing to bless us who have faithfully followed him. He is the great conqueror, not merely of the human, of the Roman Empire, but of all of the evils of this world. And we who are the soldiers of Christ can follow him, and we will be partakers of that spoil, whatever that phrase actually means. Christ is the great one. He is the great conqueror, and he has done it. And we have an opportunity to share with him 
in the results of that. Because he has poured out his soul unto death, he was numbered with the transgressors and made intercession for the transgressors. The Old Testament tells us that his hands and feet were pierced. It tells us that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would be the mighty God, one whose goings forth from old, even, even from everlasting. He has come to this world, we're told. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. How did that happen? Lucky guesses? Hardly. Are there any among you who have doubted that the Scriptures are the inspired Word of God? That if so, explain this to me. You cannot. And I know that. And in your heart, so do you. Ah, my friends, how wondrous is this love. How incredible it is that the creator of the galaxies should come into this world and be murdered by the creatures that he made. Unbelievable. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave himself for us. What wondrous love is this that came to this earth this season so long ago upon a midnight clear. Won't you invite him into your heart now? Throw down every barrier, every excuse. One minute after you die, you would give the entire world for one more minute of life to make this decision if you have not made it. The whole world. But then it will be everlastingly too late. May we pray. We thank Thee, Father, that the day of grace still shines upon us, that the offer of pardon and forgiveness and eternal life is still open. And we pray that Your Holy Spirit will draw unto Yourself any here today who have never made that decision, who have never surrendered their life to Christ, who have never said, Come, Come, Lord Jesus Christ, and dwell in my heart. Forgive me, O God. I confess that I am a sinner, unworthy of the least of thy favors. Wash me and make me whiter than snow. Grant me the gift of paradise. I pray it in thy holy name. Amen. 
If you just prayed that prayer with Dr. Kennedy, then you've just begun the greatest adventure of your life. And what a beautiful time of year to begin the celebration of God's gift to you. We also have a gift for you, and it's a book written by Dr. Kennedy called Beginning Again. In these pages, you'll learn how to read and study the Bible, how to pray, and even how to tell others what you've just done so that they too can know the greatest person who ever lived, Jesus Christ. To receive Beginning Again, just write to our address or call our toll-free number. God bless you as you do. As Dr. Kennedy tells us, the passage in Isaiah 53 is one of the most remarkable passages in the entire Bible, writing about the events that would take place in the life of Jesus Christ seven centuries before he was born, truly shows God's inspiration of the words of the Bible. It's the simple and clear truths like this that make Dr. Kennedy's sermon so powerful. One of Dr. Kennedy's most famous books is titled Truths That Transform. This book examines key principles of Christian doctrine such as holiness, Christ's return, eternal security, heaven, and much, much more. This great book presents scriptural answers to all of these issues in easy-to-understand language. We have recently reprinted this classic book, one that Dr. Kennedy himself said he would hope would remain available and we will be happy to send you a copy as our thanks for your generous donation to the ongoing work of this ministry. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11164, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339, or call toll-free 888-332-3069, or you can go online to djkm.org. The end of the year is quickly arriving, and as you give your tax-deductible donation, you will be helping us to finish 2017 in the black and head into 2018 ready to move forward on one of our most ambitious initiatives ever, the D. James Kennedy Center for Christian Leadership. Based in our Center for Christian Statesmanship on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., the Center for Christian Leadership will be identifying high potential Christian leaders and providing training to them to make a true difference for Christ at every level of leadership. We will be equipping them with a biblical worldview as well as practical training in debate, media relations, constitutional government, and a host of other skills they will be able to use to impact government at the highest levels. Please stand with us in this nation-changing venture. And if you're able to give a generous donation of $75 or more, we will send you the book Truths That Transform plus the six-CD audiobook version. It's the perfect way for you to listen to this great content while on the go. That's the book Truths That Transform plus the audiobook as our thanks for your generous donation of $75 or more. We'll be happy to send you the book alone for your generous donation to the ongoing work of this ministry. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11164, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339, or call toll-free 888-332-3069. 
888-332-3069 or go online to djkm.org. I'm Frank Wright. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Kennedy Classics. We'll see you next time. Today's program is available on DVD or audio CD for your gift to this ministry of any amount. Please call, write, or log on to our website today. This has been a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries.